Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter and joining me as always is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing fine. I got a new job. I suddenly went to teach at Landry University in Greenwood because the faculty member went on medical leave. So I feel sorry for his situation, but I am taking over two film classes for the rest of the semester. So that's kind of a whirlwind week and a half for me. Now you're just neck deep in movies. <laughs> I know. Last, this week I taught The Seventh Seal and Robocop. <laughs> How about that? And because the early months of the year are always so terrible, I feel like you don't really get into a new movie year until like March because we spend the first two months looking back at the last one. We're finally going to start to look ahead to the rest of next year in our most anticipated this movies year. of 2020. Oh, this year, yeah, whatever. 2020. Um, We're going to count down our top tens from 10 to 1. Um, I think I'm going to go first this time. Well, let's set up the criteria. Uh, so, yeah. So the criteria for us is that the film has to be at least filming, shooting now. If it's still in pre-production, like Paul Thomas Anderson has a film that's in pre-production and I think is supposed to start shooting very soon. Scorsese has a film that's sparse. Damien Chazelle. Right. So uh, it's possible that, you know, like Clint Eastwood will shoot a film in the summer and <laughs> yeah. have it out. Exactly. uh, We haven't heard of his movie that's coming out this year. Right. Uh, But we're just going to say that these are films that it's likely, it's possible they'll be out because they've at least been shot or currently uh, filming. And some of them, I know one on your list, it's already been screened in other Mm -hmm. countries or festivals. So um, these films might not actually end up coming out this year. And some of them certainly probably won't certainly probably won't be coming out in the u.s theatrically this year but it's an anticipation list the top 10 films we're most anticipating this year so we are going to get started with my number 10 a movie that is definitely gonna come out we have a release date of june 5th and it is a franchise tentpole which i'm so sure we will not see much of on jonathan's list it is wonder woman 1984 directed by patty jenkins uh, Wonder Woman 1, one of the few superhero movies that I know that you like, and one of the few superhero movies that I think most film people do like because Patty Jenkins is such a gifted director. I'm very interested to see where she takes the sequel, and uh, this isn't going to be like, you know, the best movie of 2020, but I am sort of a sucker for a big franchise movie, and I'm really excited to see where we go with Wonder Woman 1984. Why is Chris Pratt alive? I thought Chris Pratt died the last movie, but I saw him in the trailer. Questions like this need to be answered. So my number 10 most anticipated movie of 2020, Wonder Woman 1984, uh, coming out June 5th. Is this anywhere close to your top 10? No, but I would say if I had to make the list of the five quote-unquote franchise movies, it would probably be on there. Uh, It's interesting that Patty Jenkins went so long between her first and second feature. Her first one is the incredible film monster with Charlize Theron, which she won the Oscar for. And then I think it was over a decade until wonder woman. And, mm-hmm. uh, isn't Christian Wig playing the villain in the film? Yes. Early? Which is going to be an out there left field bit of casting that could go very well, but could go very wrong. And that's another one of the reasons I'm excited. I don't know if this is going to be a hundred percent. Everything works in this movie, but it is going to be very fun to see what does work and what does not. Well, I think that outside of Bill Murray, Kristen Stewart is like the best actor to come out of Saturday Night Live, their film career. I mean, Bill she, Hader's pretty good. 
right? And um, it's like talking about popping up unexpectedly. Like she's she's in Mother, the Darren Aronofsky film. If you remember yes. that she shows up in the second half, and yes. I mean. She's with Bill Hader in The Skeleton Twins. She's uh, in a movie that's not entirely successful, but it's a really good performance. Not as funny Welcome as I thought it was going to be, Skeleton Welcome. Twins. Oh, I think that one was really good. Have you ever seen a film called Welcome to Me? No, I haven't. I know yeah, she that, played the mom in Mariel Heller's directorial debut, Diary of a Teenage yeah. Girl. That's a really good film. But yeah, she's made some really interesting film choices. So uh, it's cool that she's popping up in a big franchise film. So <laughs> Yeah, get to see her play a villain. I'm... I'm uh, I basically don't have very high expectations for most franchise films because the track record isn't very good. But I thought the first Wonder Woman was very uh, entertaining and it's just it managed to be. It may I now I shouldn't say this because I haven't seen like hardly any of the recent DC movies, but mm-hmm. I get the impression they're very kind of bombastic and mm-hmm. they're they very have, dark, over yeah, serious. Right. And Wonder Woman it had some weight to it, but it was fun and it was exciting. It felt like a old fashioned movie serial mm-hmm. and something like a Indiana Jones, you know, kind of yes. period piece film. So yeah. So that's your number 10. Uh, my number 10 is Spike Lee's new film, the five bloods, mm-hmm. D a the five bloods. It's a Netflix film. This will be his first film, uh, like theatrical, hopefully to some degree film narrative film. He did two seasons uh, she's got to have it based mm-hmm. on its first feature film. So he's gone from Black Klansman, which was one of his most successful films in many years. First and, Oscar one. Right. And this is going to be a Vietnam film and it has a pretty impressive cast. There's uh, Gia Carlo Espinita, es, Espinita. Giancarlo. <laughs> right. Huh. Um, Chadwick Boseman, uh, Clark Peters. Uh, it has Paul Walter Hauser from Black Klansman and most recently Richard Jewell. So Spike Lee, I think is, I almost think he's an underrated director. I think he's yeah. done some bad films, but uh, even his misfires are sometimes interesting. And I just think that, uh, I, I thought the movie, Chirac was my favorite uh, mm-hmm. second film that year after Mad Max Fury Road. And that came out through Amazon. And I don't think anybody Yeah, saw that it. was very underseen. Right, but The Five Bloods, Vietnam film, uh, very interesting to see what he's done because he did a war film before, um, The Miracle at St. Anna, mm-hmm. which is one of his most critically not acclaimed films. It was, I mean, it has like in the red on Metacritic. It has like, it got really bad. Movies. I remember it had a very confusing trailer. I was like, what is this movie about? <laughs> yeah, it's like two hours and 40 something minutes. And um, yeah, so I would love to see Spike Lee do uh, a Vietnam film that seems, you know, it's kind of, you know, he did Black Klansman, mm-hmm. which is set around the same time. Yeah. You know, interesting to see him tackle a war film. Uh, also going to be cool to see Chadwick Boseman in a Spike Lee movie because we've really only got to see him act in these biopics where he's played like the 20th century who's who of African-American statesmen and athletes and then as the Black Panther in the Marvel movies. So it's going to be cool to see him in a in a. Uh, Spike Lee movie and actually get to be a movie star outside of the Marvel universe for once. Yeah, um, a joint. Exactly. Um, my number nine. I'm gonna fill up my franchise movies early. This is another one, but directed by a auteur who made one of the greatest bits of television of the previous decade in True Detective season one. I am talking about the next James Bond movie, No Time to Die, directed by Carrie Fukunaga. Uh, being released April 8th. I believe this is going to be the last Daniel Craig James Bond, but that's what they said about the last one, so don't take my word for it. 
if this is the last Daniel Craig James Bond, I have a sneaking suspicion that they might kill him at the end of the movie. And this makes my top ten because I'm very much looking forward to that. Do you th- you knew that uh, Dan- uh, Danny Boyle of Slumdog Millionaire and Train Spotting fame was going to direct mm-hmm. it? I wonder if he was going to be killed off in that version, and they were like, "Yeah, you're not going to do that." Because <laughs> I heard it was they stopped over creative differences. Yeah, I did. Yeah, he did leave the project over creative differences. Maybe that's why. But Carrie Fukunuka, I'm Sin Nombre, one of his early movies, very dark, very unremitting. So it's yeah, going to be interesting to see how his vision of the world goes into a James Bond movie because he doesn't exactly make the most optimistic of projects. Uh, <laughs> Beast of No Nation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I don't know. This should be really good. The last few movies uh, with Sam Mendes making them had a very rich visual palette. So I think they're going to continue going with that because that's sort of been the uh, defining look of the James Bond movies for the last 10 years so if anything it's at least going to be a very slick production with very attractive people in it so it'll be good to look at it's not going to be a total waste of time even if the the narrative makes no sense and Daniel Craig doesn't die at the end but because I'm expecting this to be his last venture as James Bond I'm looking for some fireworks so that is why it is in my top 10 are you excited for this do you think you're going to see this movie Oh, yeah, I, I certainly am. My track record with James Bond is not as good as a film geek should be. The only ones I've seen are Dr. No, the first film, mm-hmm. Goldfinger, the third one, mm-hmm. and the four Daniel Craig films. Those are the only ones I've seen. Oh, wow. Do you agree with me in general that Casino Royale, terrific, Quantum of Solace, eh, <laughs> Skyfall, terrific, Yes. Sure, eh, until hopefully yes. if it goes like in that exactly. way. Exactly. We'll, we'll reach the heights again and... Yep. Daniel yeah. Craig will go out strong after entering strong and being strong in the mid-stretch. So yeah, if we're going every other one is a good movie, this one we're due. That's crazy you haven't seen any Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. Did you just not see any growing up? No, I, I mean, I didn't see Goldfinger until a film class in college. I just, wow. it's not that I avoided them, I just somehow got, didn't get around to them. But I, um, Rami Malek is going to play a villain yes. and Christopher Walt, uh, Christoph Waltz will be back. And I've heard that Rami Malek is playing Dr. No. Oh, You didn't know that? I, I did I not hear know. that. Right. I Anna think Armas will reunite with Daniel Craig for a Knives Out reunion, so I'm looking forward to that. Right. Hope probably not 2020 because I haven't even. I don't think there's a script yet necessarily, but uh, the Knives Out sequel. Who <laughs> the director was farming out the the naming rights on Twitter. Oh yeah. Well, um, okay. My number nine is kind of a cheat because it's two films, but I'm saying whichever one, if either of them comes out, it's Woody Allen's films. He has a film called A Rainy Day in New York, which premiered in many other European countries. Uh, last year it's funny you could see the film if you were above the united states flying because it was on certain airlines oh, so weird. you could like buy a plane ticket uh, for 150 dollars and watch the new buddy allen movie uh it was on youtube briefly but i was like no i want to pay to see this um so a rainy day in new york has premiered uh it has been screened and it has a pretty impressive cast like yes. a lot of his films it has timothy chalamet selena gomez al fanning Diego Luna, Liv Schreiber, Rebecca Hall, Jude Law, Cherry Jones, Suki Waterhouse. So, um, Very young cast for a Woody Allen movie. 
I know. I mean, they're like four times younger. Than, but uh, the other <laughs> how one... How does that, he even speak the same language as Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> right. I, I, I remember hearing uh, Emma Stone, who was in two of his recent films, talking about trying to explain Twitter to Woody Allen. He doesn't even... like he. I remember in an interview, Woody Allen said, like, I can get my music and I can check the weather. That's all I know how to do with my phone. <laughs> Um, but uh, he has another film called Rifkin's Festival that's set at a film festival that stars Christoph Waltz, who I just mentioned a minute ago, Gina Gershon, Louis uh, Grinnell, and Wallace Shawn. And he's already filmed that. And both films are shot by the great cinematographer uh, who shot a lot of Bertolucci's films. Um, what's his name? Uh he, the, I, I forget his name, but he shot like a lot of the greatest, most beautiful films ever made. Uh, Is it and, Vittorio Storaro? Right, right, yeah. And, I just uh, pulled that straight out of the dub. Look at that, impressive. Yeah, so Woody Allen, you know, we won't go into his personal problems. Uh, well, you know, this what... was interesting in that he had a major dispute with Amazon over the distribution of this because they had agreed to distribute his movies for however long he did the TV show with them that was basically a movie but released over six parts and i think he was released from his deal with amazon if i'm not wrong so right. uh, so we'll see if who distributes these movies going forward but I, he doesn't seem like he has any intention of stopping making a movie a year going forward whatever i i i woody allen's one of my five favorite living directors i will i've seen every single one of his films he's going to be shooting his 50th film soon wow. he's in his mid 80s now and he's still going so uh, if either of them actually get released in the U.S. somehow, I want to see them. Well, he's definitely a guy that not everyone he makes is a classic because he makes so many. But every once in a while, he will come out with one like Blue Jasmine or Midnight in Paris where you're like, wow, Woody Allen really is still one of the best filmmakers. Yeah, and I'll say this to be snobby. If I had a choice between re-watching Woody Allen's worst film and like going to see the new Wonder Woman ever, I would watch the worst Woody Allen movie. Like his weakest film, Shaded is... Patty Jenkins. I mean, no, it's it, any comic book movie. I mean, I just I would rather watch a middling Woody Allen film than a you know any comic book film ever, basically. But that's just the way I am. I mean, I I love even his weaker films. I just it's he always has great cast. They're well written to an extent, and there's good acting. So. Woody Allen's A Rainy Day in New York and or Rifkin's Festival. So for me, we're moving past franchise territory into writer-director auteur territory. My number eight, uh, coming out September 25th, the latest movie from Edgar Wright, Last Night in Soho, which we're led to believe is going to be a sort of psychological horror movie in the same vein as... Uh, Oh, damn it. What's the Catherine Deneuve, uh, Roman Polanski one? Repulsion. Repulsion, yeah. And it is co-written by the woman who co-wrote 1917, whose name I can't remember right now. It's one but... of those hyphenated. And I was just <laughs> exactly. like uh, A Rain Day in New York, this has a really good young person cast. Mm -hmm. The uh, Anna Taylor-Joy and Thomas McKenzie, uh, one from... Um, splice and the witch and one from leave no trace and jojo rabbit mm -hmm. and uh baby driver movie i'm sort of mixed on i know a lot of people like it but that's one it. i've seen it multiple times and i actually like it less every time i see it maybe if i i see it another time the whole way through that opinion will change but i've i've been on edgar wright since the very beginning Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz were two of my favorite movies of uh 
the pre or two decades ago now. That's going to be hard to get used to saying. Uh, but I'm looking forward to him getting back into British territory because with Baby Driver, it was in America. It was set in Atlanta for some reason. That just didn't feel like something that he knew about. Tax so credit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But I'm looking forward to him going back to having movies set in Britain because uh, he just has uh, Britain is where his movies belong. Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, if they were like made in America, wouldn't have nearly the same charm or humor to them. So, Last Night in Soho, he's also getting back to the horror genre, something he started off uh, with Shaun of the Dead, and uh, I think a territory that he's much more comfortable with than something like Baby Driver, which. Uh, I don't know. I just don't think that movie worked as well as it should have. And Edgar Wright is such a promising director. I'm a big fan of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I think I've seen all of his movies. Well, and... technically, his he made a feature film when he was only 21. Uh, yeah, fist The of Fistful of Fingers. I have not actually seen that. So yeah. And supposedly, this is his first film that's not a comedy. Really? Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't imagine his films not having any humor in them, though. Wow. And uh, besides mentioning the two really talented young actresses, it has two greats of uh, English uh, stage and screen, Diana Rigg and Terrence Stamper in the film. Yes, Terrence Stamp giving it that uh, swinging 60s bit of feeling. <laughs> right. Oh, well, um, I'm going to go to my next two films uh, are both in your top 10. I think we should just talk about them together if we want to, if you don't mind. Uh, my two, not franchise movies, but big, big production. Movies. Yeah. One in so, July, one in December. Right. So uh, my number eight film is Dune. Mm -hmm. This is Den uh, Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. <laughs> yeah, Villeneuve. So his films, I've seen a lot of his films actually in theaters in their mm -hmm. original. He directed Prisoners, Arrival, and Blade Runner 2049. And I don't know if you feel the same ways, but if anyone was going to do a new Dune, he seems like the perfect yes, choice. Yes, even the guy though, who did Arrival. <laughs> right. But even though Alejandro Jodorowsky just turned 91 a few days ago, and he would still be the best one to do it, I think, uh, it's probably the greatest. He was going to make you know. it in the 70s, right? Right. Yeah, everyone watched the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune. It's it's an insane. He was going to make it with Pink Floyd doing the music, H.R. Geiger doing the set design and character design. And a lot of that stuff went into Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. uh, and the cast was going to have Orson Welles, Salvador Dali, Mick Jagger, Salvador Dali. Gloria Swanson, Keith Carradine. It was going to be insane. It was going to be like 10 hours long and an absolute head trip. But hopefully this version, which is going to be a two-part film, if yes. I'm correct. And it, the first part's uh, premiering uh, December eighteenth. Yes, and the cast includes amazing. Yeah, yeah, Timothy Chalamet. So he might possibly be in two films released in the U.S. this yes. year. Uh, um, Rebecca Ferguson playing his mom. Yeah, Oscar Isaac <laughs> playing his dad. <laughs> Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, David Bautista. How do you say it? Bautista. Bautista. Javier Bardem. Stellan Skarsgård and Charlotte Rampling. Charlotte and, Rampling, great name to say. Yes, and Charlotte Rampling was supposedly going to be, and she was in talks to be in the Alejandro Jodorowsky version, but she read that there was going to be a scene where there were like hundreds of people defecating on demand, and she said, yeah, I'm not going to do that film. <laughs> it's like, I was a member yeah. of the Royal Shakespeare Company, I'm not yeah, going to do this. <laughs> yeah, but I don't understand, she was in the Night Porter, it's like she's complaining about doing something shocking. But anyway, Dune... Uh, I am not a huge... The Star Wars for thinking people. Right. I'm not a huge uh, sci-fi fa uh, fan, even though 2001 A Space Odyssey is my second favorite film of all time. And I could list dozens of sci-fi films that I really do like. But 
Star Wars, Star Trek, Guardians of the Galaxy is not my cup of tea, but this seems more of the dark, cerebral, mm-hmm. adult science fiction. I, I'm going to assume it might even be R-rated. I'm yes. not sure. Um, I, I wouldn't I'd, be surprised. Blade Runner was R-rated, and Arrival was as well. Was I thought oh, Arrival might not be. Arrival Blade Runner was hard, though. But um, I do think that this... I really, really hope this film's good. Now, David Lynch, my favorite living director, did a version in the 80s with, with Comic Sting. I know, and Kyle McLaughlin, whose birthday is today, as we're recording this. Son it's huge. And it's just a total misfire. And Lynch did not get final cut. Um, so I'd still love to see Alejandro Jodorowsky or David Lynch do it, because they're both still uh, working. But I really have high hopes for this. Uh, what, what do you say about your expectations? I mean, I think my expectations might be too high for this movie. This is my number two, I think, right now. And the oh, other yeah. movie you're going to mention is my number three. I don't know. It just sounds like too perfect of a mixture of material, a director who's hot at the right time with an amazing cast that it just can't be bad. It just can't be bad. I mean, if it's bad, it's going to ruin my whole year. So this just has to be like one of the best movies. Well, if it comes out at the very end of the year, it won't run it for too long. <laughs> well, exactly. It'll just it'll run the retrospect whole... royal the spoil the whole year. I'll be like, damn, 2020 was wasted because I was just waiting for Dune. Right. Have you ever seen the David Lynch film? I have seen the the David Lynch film. Uh, the whole uh, <laughs> people with all the uh, nasty stuff on their face does not work for me. That movie's hard to watch as someone who's grossed out easily. Yeah, and uh, he supposedly wanted the actor to actually get surgery to make a little hole in his face so they could put the thing through. And like the actor's like, yeah, David, I'm not going to do that. But uh, yeah, so I have never read the novel. I feel like I should read it before the new one comes out. I remember there was one film critic that was talking about the Lynch film and said that the characters who can read each other's minds have an advantage over the audience because they can understand what's going on in this film. I mean, the plot is sort of absurd. It all like centers around the spice, which is like some weird drug that for some reason everyone cares about getting. It's a pretty big MacGuffin. I mean, when I was watching the Lynch version, I was like, what is this movie about? This is so weird. So hopefully it it delivers in this version, but the the I mean all three versions the one that Jodorowsky was going to make certainly but even the Lynch version has a really good cast it has mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart and um, uh, Jose Ferreira and it has a young Virginia Madsen Sting shows an Lynch acts in it he has mm-hmm. a small but um, I certainly have high expectations for, and I wonder how trippy it's going to be that's one thing I'm yes. intrigued how weird and like uh, well, Blade know. Runner 2049 was pretty freaking trippy so. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want me? Uh, well, you go to your number seven, and uh, well, uh, or number uh, which you have number. We're on my number seven. Yeah, which is ahead. a movie I'm not sure that you've heard of. I'm I've only heard of it because you, you've probably heard of it, but you might not have paid attention. I only did because it is based on a novella that I read in college and liked very much. I'm talking about Passing, directed by Rebecca Hall. You I heard know. Of this? I know she, uh, her as an actress. I mean, she's gonna. She's in the Woody Allen movie. Exactly, but, yeah. You know, is, who wrote the source material? Uh, it is by Nella Larson. It is about two women in New York in the 1920s who are light-skinned African-American women, one of whom is passing as a white woman, the other who is married to another black man, and they meet unexpectedly, and their meeting changes each other's lives. It's an amazing novella. I recommend it very highly. It is going to star... Um, two lead roles uh two actresses i like very much 
uh, Ruth Nega. Yeah. And Love. Tessa Thompson. Oh, yes. Very talented. Yes. And Rebecca Hall, she said she was inspired to make this movie because her mother was in a situation of passing earlier in the 20th century. And it is a uh, sociological phenomenon I don't think too many people are aware of that this was something that happened in the early 20th century. Light-skinned African-Americans passing off as white people. And what great risk they encountered by doing this sort of thing. It is just an amazing novella about race and identity and sexual identity that I recommend very highly. And if Rebecca Hall captures all of the nuances of the novella... This is going to be a very special movie. I wouldn't be surprised if both actresses received nominations for their performances, having not even seen a minute of the movie because the roles are so rich. That this is going to be really fantastic if it's executed well. It's also going to star Andre Holland as Tessa Thompson's husband, and Alexander Skarsgård, I think, is going to play Ruth Negga's love interest in the movie. So, pretty good cast. Have you ever seen Eli Kazan's film Pinky? I have not. Yeah, that has the it's a, about passing also. Um, interesting film. Uh, okay, my number seven is a film that's high on your list. Uh, it's Tenet. We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear holocaust? No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. Christopher Nolan's new film. Now I ran, you know, hot and cold with Nolan. I, I mean, he basically did three films in a row that I didn't love as much as some people the third dark knight film inception and interstellar, interstellar. I mean, and there's things about them i really admire but i really like memento and i th- i'm the weird guy who thinks that the best film he's ever done is the prestige i'm like yes. there's i'm in a small group but the prestige uh, is amazing the last like 15 minutes <laughs> yeah but he has his new film that no one really knows quite what it's about which is perfect i don't mind not knowing about it it looks like inception a lot it's going to be a globe trotting film it has robert pattinson and john, john david, david washington. washington and the actress from widows elizabeth uh, debicki yes the very tall woman <laughs> michael kane and michael kane <laughs> yeah and it also will have um it wouldn't Kenneth be a nolan Arnold movie without michael kane and Aaron, Aaron taylor johnson so uh impressive uh eclectic cast it's uh yeah we don't know too much about it it basically looks like inception but they can go back it looks like a mix of memento and inception yeah, it looks like, like it's, inception but they can go backwards <laughs> right so uh I, one thing i've had a criticism is of nolan's is that i wish he would like i feel like he could do it it's like i want to see his like 
I basically want to see a David Lynch film that cost $150 million. Like, I want to see, like, a balls-out, like, trippy, fucking weird movie. Like, and he, he's never quite gone there. Like, well, Inception is, I like... I think he's too concerned with his movies making sense. Yeah, see, Lynch will be, like, hold my beer. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't care whether you understand what's happening. Yeah, it's like, I just have this fantasy of David Lynch, like some crazy producer, like giving him a blank check and being like, you make your inception, you make your tenant. And like, it just being like, like, just like blowing people's minds. But, you know, maybe tenant will be. And if it's not, it, it will at least still be like highly original and visually breathtaking and it'll not use a lot of CGI. It'll have amazing action set pieces. Hopefully- Guaranteed to get a very interesting Robert Pattinson performance. <laughs> Right. Uh, it's like he's t- dipping his toe into, you know, he's doing Batman now. Uh-huh. And be doing, he's also yeah. doing the next Claire Denis movie. I know. His, but, he's uh, just shaping up to have such an interesting career. I know. It's like people that wrote, uh, wrote him off because of Twilight. It's like they don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. The, the triumphant like, return of Robert Pattinson. I know. So um, Tenet, uh, very much looking forward to it. Well, I yeah. am always in 100% on every Christopher Nolan movie. I have been ever since I saw The Prestige when I was 14 or whatever. And I'm very interested to see this as a return to original sort of science fiction material. He did Dunkirk last, which a lot of people would say is his best movie, but is not exactly the kind of movie we are known that Christopher Nolan for making. It seems much more comfortable in the science fiction realm. Which, I mean, the trailer for this movie could not be more vague about what it's about. And I remember hearing Robert Pattinson say, like, when he first got the script, he had to read it in a locked room, like, all in one sitting. There's no one who takes secrecy more to heart than Christopher Nolan. Um, So, yeah, this is going to be one where, like, going into it, you're going to be like, this is going to be whatever and whatever, but you really are going to have no idea what it is until you actually see it. And that's very rare in the age of movies telling you everything that happens in the trailer. So Especially on this scale. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is going to be the biggest movie of the summer, and, like, no one knows what it's about. But just because it's Christopher Nolan, like, everybody is in, which is really, really cool that a director has that much pull. He has, he's one of like seven living filmmakers that could go to a studio and be like, give me $150 million to make an original film and you're not going to really know what it's about until it's... Yeah, and they're just like, sure. <laughs> right. So uh, we're both very intrigued, but that's probably the number one film we're intrigued by yes. what it's going to be. Intrigued is a good word to describe right. it. It is just veiled in darkness right now. Right. So uh, do you want me to go to my next one or do you want to give yours next? I think let's go to my number six, which is a movie that popped up on my radar last month when A24 tweeted out the poster and I was like, ooh, what's what's this? And then the trailer came out the next day and I was like, holy shit, what is this? I hadn't even like heard that this was coming out. It is The Green Knight directed by David Lowry. Tell me a tale of yourself so that I might know thee. Yet. You have none to tell yet. I fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. Who did The Old Man and the Gun two years ago, last year, and did Ain't the Body Saints in 2013, and The Very Strange Pete's Dragon in 2015. 
this is a straight up adaptation of Gawain and the Green Knight, which if you ever took English 101 in college, you should be familiar with. Uh, the title, I think most people assigned to read this did not actually read it, so this would be nice and familiar to some people, but uh, a new breath of fresh air to many people. It's amazing to me, <laughs> just seeing in its screenplay credits uh, adapted from Gawain and the Green Knight, because that is such a weird, random text. It is such like a, a English major sort of text that to see this in a screen version is just going to be very trippy. And if he like adapts it straight up, this is going to be a very weird, weird movie. The trailer for it is extremely moody and <laughs> makes it seem like the the final product is going to be something very out there. Um, are you familiar with Gawain of the Green Knight, the story? Did you read that in college? I read certainly certain King Arthur stories. I don't remember this one specifically, but... This is like the uh, most famous contemporary, like from the 1300s, uh, surviving uh, King Arthur story. And he makes an appearance in the trailer. This seems like a, a, is a different Patel sort of approach. Dev Patel is starring in it as Gawain in the first of two... Uh, Dev Patel performances of iconic British literary characters. Maybe you'll hear about the other one later. Uh, (laughs) I think that's pretty high on your list. (laughs) Uh, This, very quickly after seeing the trailer and the poster, my expectations were raised from a level of 0 to 100. It comes out May 29th. I think this is going to cause a stir when it comes out. I, I hope people go see this because from the trailer it looks very, very cool. Have you seen the trailer for it? No, I've seen that there has been a trailer. trailer <laughs> you, you are aware I'm, that the trailer exists. Uh, I'll, I'll try to put to... the audio for it in uh, in the bed for this, but this yeah. is going to be a weird movie. And David Lowry, I haven't actually seen any of his previous movies. You said The Old Man and the Gun was pretty good. You, you didn't see that one? No, I wrong. didn't. <laughs> uh, you should definitely see A Ghost Story. That's very... That's the one he uh, did with uh, Rooney Mara and uh, Casey Affleck, right? Right. Yeah, I saw him at an interview promoting that, and yeah, you should definitely watch uh, his earlier. He seems very like Malik influenced. Is that right? Oh yeah, definitely. He's from Texas. Okay, Uh, so to see like a Malik influenced King Arthur romance, this is going to be very weird. I'm in for this. So the Green Knight coming out May 29th is my number six. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've seen a number of his movies, so I certainly recommend. Uh, let's also just mention the cast includes Alicia Vikander, mm-hmm. Ralph Ennison, uh, who was in The Witch, and yes. Barry uh, Keown, who was in The uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Barry Keo. Give him oh, the proper also, Irish Kate, uh, pronunciation. Uh, Katie, Kate Dickey. So the, also Joel Edgerton. The Witch. Oh, yeah. So both actor. Uh, yeah, uh, we get a re- reuniting of the Witch parents. Right. So uh, my number six film is by a director. I don't know if you've seen any of his films. I've only seen one feature film of his, Holy Motors. Hmm. Uh, Leo Carax, have you seen any of his films? No, Holy Motors is one I've had uh, from the mailing Netflix for a little while, so maybe I'll end up seeing that. That was very high on a lot of people's best movies of the previous decade list. Yeah, it's an absolutely bonkers film about I'm not entirely sure, but it's about filmmaking and the art of uh, making movie magic. Uh, But he hasn't made a film in a long time. And that one, he hadn't made a film in a long time. So Holy Motors is like his only film for like almost 20 years. But he has a new film called Annette that stars the biggest actor in the world, arguably now, uh, Adam Driver Mm -hmm. and Marion Cotillard. And it's about a stand-up comedian and his uh, lover and 
it just sounds and it's, and it's gonna a be a musical yeah and it's a musical yeah, yeah. you left so, out the biggest part right so we have adam driver and marianne cotillard in a leo's cracks musical we got a preview of him singing at the end of marriage story let's see him take it for a whole uh two-hour narrative right so holy motors is just one of the most audaciously wonderfully bizarre movies of the previous decade uh, and it would uh, be close to my top 10 probably of the decade. And I, not much is known about this film. I would not be surprised at all if it premieres at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will hopefully come out by the end of the year. Um, but yeah, Annette, very much excited because of the director and the cast. Uh, and that it's like, will be the one musical of the year, probably. <laughs> well, we've got In the Heights coming out. And then also uh, the Spielberg version of West Side Story, which I'm sure is going to cause quite a stir when it actually comes out. Right. Um, my number five movie, also mostly based on the director and the cast, is my reason for being excited for it. And the full title, which was revealed uh, when the trailer came out last week, I am, of course, referring to the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. Decent people. Supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. Directed by Wilson. (laughs) Exactly, as every actor ever. Coming out July 24th. Um, Can I put them off real quick? Yes. Okay, I'll, I, you know, this will take half the episode. Okay, yet again, so uh, Timothy Chalamet. I'm naked, Mrs. Kremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. Sarah Ronan. Jason Schwartzman, Leah Sadu, Kate Winslet, Willem Dafoe, Bill Murray, Elizabeth Moss, Benicio Del Toro, Tola Swinton, Christoph Waltz, Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, Fisher Stevens, Rupert Friend, Jeffrey Wright, Francis McDormand, Henry Winkler, Bob Balaban, Lois Smith. Literally like half the trailer is just people's names in their face appearance. And you're like, this is exciting. It's like every film he does, it like squares itself with like the cast. It's like, oh, they're from Rushmore. And then you add Life Aquatic. Oh, and then you add Food Rice Kingdom. Oh, and then you add Grand Budapest. It's this like, next movie is going to have like 250 credited actors in it. It's, each it's, one is going to take the, the uh, actor's studio minimum, but each one is going to be like one of the 10 biggest stars in the world. Well, there was a rumor that it was going to be a two-part, four-hour film, but they wow. said that that's true that but the film is broken into segments it's like mm-hmm. uh, it's a well set up the premise uh it is about a magazine a sort of foreign mm-hmm. outpost of a magazine from Lawrence Kansas set in an unnamed French town and it seems like the plot is gonna be constructed of the lives of the writers but also the stories that they're writing and he's gonna play a, a, a around a lot like he did in his last movie the grand budapest hotel with sort of frame um uh what do you call it four by three stuff like that 
yeah, aspect ratio. Aspect ratio and also color and stuff like that in interesting ways. That was one of the coolest things about Grand Budapest Hotel. I would switch back from the widescreen to the box screen like it was in the 30s. And I don't know, Wes Anderson, it seems like a lot of people don't like him. I don't understand why. Um, do you, I mean, do you feel like his reputation has sort of waned? Because I feel like mid-2000s, late-2000s, everyone thought of him as, like, one of the best directors working. Maybe people still think that way, but I don't know. I feel like, for some reason, his reputation has, has been on the downslide a little bit. Well, I think the Grand Budapest Hotel, I think a number of people think it's maybe the best film he's ever done. And then he did Isle of Dogs, which got good reviews. But yeah, maybe that... it's just because Isle of Dogs sort of went under the radar and not many people talked about it. Yeah, I think he's one of the unabashed auteurs yes. of American cinema. Like he is someone like Tim Burton that yes. you see one frame of his film, you're like, this is a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> yeah. And very I, concerned he... with its composition and people being in the exact center of the frame. <laughs> right, and I there's not a film of his I don't like. I'm not the biggest, like hugest fan of Wes Anderson in the sense that I, I'm not always you know, like, oh my God, I can't wait for his film, but I always thoroughly enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just impeccably made and yes. they have such a wonderful performances. They're very funny and well-written. Great sense of humor. Right. And yeah, so he's not like, if I were like put in the group of uh, directors that are like age 45 to like 60, mm-hmm. like Richard Linklater, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro, uh, it's like, I don't know that he would be in my top five, but I love him, though. Mm-hmm. And I think his films are wonderful. So I'm, and I'm certain... glad that his movies are in the world. <laughs> right, right. And uh, that he can get such talent. You yes. know, it's just insane. He's so, just got uh, such a devoted coterie of actors. <laughs> it's just oh, yeah. it's just amazing. He's constantly employing Bill Murray. Where would Bill Murray be without Wes Anderson? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, Bill Murray's going to have a great year because he has a Sofia Coppola film, too. So yes. he's... Uh, reuniting with some of his uh, favorite directors. So my number five film is one that's also in your top 10. It's uh, David Fincher's black and white film Mank. Which is which my is number about... four. Okay, cool. It's the uh, film <laughs> Release about... date TBD. Oh yeah? yeah. It's uh, it's going to be another Netflix film. Yes. It's uh, David Fincher's hadn't done a film since Gone Girl, which mm-hmm. has been a minute. And Jeez. he's been working on the Netflix TV series, Mindhunter. Yes. But this is a black and white. I don't know if we're supposed to call it a biopic, but it's at least focused on the it's an industry drama. Right. It's the co-screenwriter of Citizen Kane, uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, and uh, Gary Oldman is playing him. And uh, this will be the first film that Fincher has done in black and white. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he's a big proponent of digital, so he's not shooting it on film, I'm sure. But this will be a probably exquisitely made film. Like I can just imagine this is going to get nominated for best cinematography. Oh there's, yeah, there's like one black and white film. I have a feeling there's he's going to use a lot of the deep focus stuff that we see in Citizen Kane in the the shooting of this movie. Yeah, I just am super excited to see what the film's going to be about yeah. because we know the basic. You know, it's about the making the dispute of- over who gets credit for writing Citizen Kane, basically. Right, and uh, the, just some of the other actors that pop up in the film. Like I said, Gary Oldman plays the title character as Lily Collins, uh, Amanda Seyfried, Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. Tom Burke, who is so wonderful in uh, The Souvenir. Mm-hmm. Is playing uh, Orson Welles. Yes, so uh, this uh, should be one of the best films of the year. I have high expectations because uh, David Fincher, David Fincher would be in that top five of that group of like, 
45 to 60. And this uh, movie was written by his dad, who is now deceased. So this is been a very personal touch to David Fincher movies, which I don't know if you would necessarily associate the word personal with David Fincher unless you consider serial killers to be something personal to him. He's very cynical, kind of uh, cerebral filmmaker. One one downside too, Mank, is that he got the whole show Mindhunter canceled so he could make this. He did not pick up the contracts of the actors for it's season It's on three. hiatus. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see if we ever get another episode of Mindhunter, which is a show I like a lot, and was the only place to get David Fincher directed uh, material since Gone Girl. So, uh, I mean, I, I love David Fincher. Every movie he comes out with is just perfect. He's one of the most uh, Kubrick-like working directors, and I, I think you would say like him and Christopher Nolan are two like the big budget but very controlled, very auteur-driven uh, big budget directors. I guess Dylan, Denis Villeneuve is getting up there also. So yeah, Mank was my number four. And you have talked about Dude and Tenet, my two and three. So let's just go all the way down to number one for you. Well, I got four and three. And I know, two. yeah, yeah. Dude, all the way okay. back to back to back. Okay, so you might have put this film in your top ten, but you were – questioning whether it would come out this year or any time in the near future is Terrence Malick's new film, The Last Planet, because he's finished shooting it. But with Malick, that really doesn't mean anything. No, I think stopped. he edited The Tree of Life for like six years. <laughs> right, and A Hidden Life was originally called Radigan, and it was... Yeah, yeah like, that was, was going like, to come out in 2016 or whatever. <laughs> it's like I think it was like on three of my list of the top ten of the... I remember there was one year where I did my top ten most anticipated, and eight of them didn't come out theatrically that year, so I was like... Okay, but hopefully, possibly, it could come out. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. Putting this in your top ten is an act of hope. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be, like, totally shocked if it, like, premiered at, uh, like, a fall film festival. Yeah, Telluride or or not Venice, uh, Toronto or something like that. But if it didn't premiere until Cannes of 2022, I also wouldn't be surprised. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But this is a film that seems like the most overtly religious in yes. the sense that it's about like Jesus and the devil. <laughs> yes, and, and, right, and uh, A Hidden Life is a very Christian movie. Right. Um, it stars Mark Rylance. As like four different versions of the devil. <laughs> right. And then how do you pronounce this actor's name? Matthias. Uh, Matthias Schoenartz. Right. And Ben Kingsley's in it. But also uh, the guy from Son of Saul, right? Correct. Yes. And uh, – as with a Malik, you don't exactly know what you're going to get, but this yeah. seems like a retelling of Bible stories. It seems and... something to do with like the 40 days and 40 nights of temptation, maybe. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll the, see the what Mark it is. Rylance playing the devil thing is what piqued my curiosity the most. Right. Because I heard him in an interview and he's like, oh, I'm in a Terrence Malick movie and I'm playing four versions of the devil. And it's, oh, you know, I don't really know what's happening, but it's good fun. It's like, okay, right. this is going to be cool. Yeah, so uh, I saw Mark Rylance for the first time. I registered him uh, on the um, miniseries Wolf Hall, which is just superb. Um, So um, I'm very much looking forward to, if we get it anytime soon, the last... Hopefully none of the actors die. Like with Hidden Life, (laughs) two of the actors died before it premiered in the U.S. But um, Well, and that one was a very straightforward... Well, well, the most straightforward yeah. of any Malik we've seen in a long time. I think this one might veer very much in the other direction in terms of straightforwardness and uh, intelligibility for the average audience member. You know what I would love to see him do is that on his IMDb page for a long time, he he supposedly wants to do a Jerry Lee Lewis biopic. Ooh. Like I would like to see him do something that's not 
like I'm not like filmed mm-hmm. like 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 you have like not like this. Well, that's sort of like the thin red line isn't something you would necessarily think of as being like a Malick film, but yeah. he absolutely knocks that one out of the park. So maybe if he did like a, a film noir detective drama, <laughs> where would he take that? Well, um, my number three film is also one that will probably be elusive and odd. It's uh, let me clear my throat. <clears> throat> a picture pong worth a set of cools new film. <laughs> Uh, memoria memoria how do you say memoria memoria so i am super super excited because this is the completely original and ethereal director of films such as uncle boon me who can recall his past lives and tropical malady Mm -hmm. and this is his really first film that he's done with a major movie star almost all of his films have non-professional Thai actors. Yes. This film stars the goddess Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. And the premise on IMDb just says, the main character of the film is a woman from Scotland. (laughs) It's an amazing first line. (laughs) I know. The main character of the film is a woman from Scotland who, while traveling in Colombia, begins to notice strange sounds. Soon she begins to think about their appearance. (laughs) So uh, that's the only plot synopsis. I'm just expecting this to be like totally weird and art house, yes. like capital A art house. Tilda Swinton with this director, it's like I don't know anything about it besides that very vague premise. I just it I, seems I, like Tilda Swinton just like allows anyone to execute their craziest vision of a movie, and she's like, I'm in, and I'm gonna make this watchable. I mean, she and uh, Willem Dafoe have yes. like the most insane track record with directors. I mean, Tilda Swinton's worked with. The Coen Brothers, Wes Anderson, Jim Jarmusch, Judd Apatow, uh, Terry Gilliam, uh, Spike Jones, Luca Guadagnino, Bong Joon-ho. I mean, in many of those directors. But she's also in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> I know. I know. And I just I adore her. And she's just like uh, she is an alien goddess. So yes. I just the director, you know, that's like one of the great pairings to me of like, I cannot wait for an Apichapong with a set of cool film starring. Wow, Cole you did it really well that time. Yeah, so uh, I'll go to my number two because you just have your number one left, right? Yes. Okay, so I'll do my number two, then you'll do your number one. So my number two film is, this is also just uh, a director that I am so excited for him doing this premise. It's Paul Verhoeven, Mm -hmm. director of, I taught his film this week, RoboCop, Total Recall, Showgirls, and Elle doing a lesbian nun period piece starring Charlotte Rampling, Benedite, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you had me at Paul Verhoeven nun, nun, les, lesbian nun period piece. I mean, I, I mean, how can you not be excited for that? I think Paul Verhoeven is legitimately a great filmmaker. He's made some questionable films, yes. but even something like Showgirls, I think, is kind of incredible. <laughs> uh, and L is, his most recent film, L is one of the best things he's ever done Mm -hmm. and he is such a provocative daring filmmaker he's in his early 80s now and i just love the fact that he's still going he uh actually had to put the film on hold he had finished shooting it but the post-production took longer it was going to come out last year but he had um i think a hit replacement or something but he's still making wonderfully provocative films so that's my number two of the year I, I i cannot wait to see like i expect it to be like i don't know is it going to be like a kind of sleazy 70s like grindhouse lesbian nun film or is it going to be very austere it's going to be a mix of those i yeah. think it's going to be like art house serious. you can see it being something like uh 
Oh, First Reformed. First Reformed, yeah. Yeah, it would be like First Reformed meets like some 70s grindhouse lesbian mm-hmm. vampire movie. Like I just... L was like kind of a sensation when that came out in 2016, so he is kind of back in a way he hasn't been since like the 90s. Well, he hasn't made a feature film since before uh, L since like it w- he had only done like one Black feature Book film. from the Netherlands came out in 2006. And I think his previous one before that was like, was it Hollow Man? Yeah, it was like early two thousand. <laughs> I know, but uh, so absolutely cannot wait for that. So, what's your number one before I go to my number one? My number one. This is a movie I thought was going to come out last year. I'm pretty sure when we did this last year, this was pretty high up on my list of most anticipated movies of 2019. It might not have been number one. But in subsequent times since I made that list, it has actually come out, and we have received audience praise and critical praise in Britain, where it has already been released and was released months ago. And I followed the director of this movie, Armando Iannucci, on Twitter, and every day he's retweeting people saying, oh, I love this movie so much. And I'm just like, god damn it, why do all these fucking English people get to see this movie before I do? I'm talking about the personal history of David Copperfield coming out May 8th. Whether I turn out to be the hero of my own story, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these moments must show. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Creditors make that road impossible. Two tailors and a most unreasonable muffin man. Copperfield! Your mama is ill. How old is she? Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Dangerously ill. She's dead. Finally. This might be my favorite book I've ever read, so that is a big reason why it is so high on my list. But also, I'm a big fan of Armando Iannucci and his style of comedy. Veep is one of my favorite TV shows of uh, the last 10 years or so. And then The Death of Stalin was a really, really great movie that was his first solo directing experience and... Hopefully, it was a great warm up for what will he be. He did in the loop. He did in the. Did he direct in the loop? Yeah. Okay, because that was adapted from a TV show he had worked on in Britain, also. So look at this. His third movie. He's hitting his stride. Uh, he also created Avenue Five, I think, which premiered on HBO recently, and I have not actually seen. It but, got kind of mixed reviews. But yeah, it, exactly. It <laughs> I'm just I'm just holding off on my Iannucci until I get the personal history of David Copperfield. And uh, this also is starring Tilda Swinton as one of my favorite uh, characters from Dickens. And also starring Dev Patel as David Copperfield. And we're getting this sort of modern take on the story. When I first heard about it, it seemed like they were intimating that this was going to be a version set in modern Britain. I'm glad to find that that is not the case. It is still keeping the 19th century setting. But it is using a very eclectic cast of not necessarily white British actors, (laughs) e.g., Dev Patel playing David Copperfield himself, but if you haven't read David Copperfield, go read it before this movie comes out because it is an amazing, amazing book. People talk about uh, whatever the hell that French asshole's name is who wrote In Memory of Lost Time as being the quintessential book on memory. Fuck that guy. David Copperfield is the best book about memory. This is going to be an amazing movie. This narrative is far more than mere fiction. in fact written memory and you have quite the ride on the way uh it's probably not 
close to number one for your list, but this is my list, and I can put whatever I want at number one in the personal history of David Copperfield is far and away my most anticipated movie of 2020. Yeah, it has a 75 on Metacritic right now, and it also stars Peter Capaldi, who's the star of The Thick of It and the film it's based on, uh, the film that came off of it, In the Loop, and also has uh, Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones. And Morfitt Clark, who is the actress I have not actually seen, but she had four movies premiere on the same day at the London Film Festival last year, and all four of them got really, really great reviews, so I'm like, I cannot wait to see this person in a movie. She's going to be in St. Maud, which is coming out, I think, in March, and from the trailer of that, I'm probably not going to see that movie, <laughs> so this will probably be the first movie I see her in, but... Having not seen any of Morford Clark's movies, it, she is an actress that I'm excited about. And it comes out May 8th in the U.S. Yes. And it's only rated PG, which is, you know. And everybody should go see this. If this movie is not a hit, I'm going to blame America for being stupid because this is a movie people should go see. It's just so good. Dickens is so good. People should get a little bit more Dickens in their life. He is not as stilted and antiquated as you think he is. And I think uh, Armando Iannucci will bring new life to Dickens. I'm hearing that this is the best Dickens adaptation since David Lean made Great Expectations in 1948. So take that as what you will. Right. Um, Have you ever seen, do you appreciate the 30s version uh, that, did George Cooker direct it? That W.C. Fields? W.C. Fields is in it, and he's the best part of that movie. I do not like that movie. I, I... I have it on DVD. It is a copy that I stole from Netflix because I couldn't find the DVD anywhere else. So I was just like, go ahead. I'll take the penalty. I'm not giving this DVD back. It's not a a, a movie I'm particularly fond of. I mean, it's, it's a tough movie to get into two hours because it is literally like 60 years of a person's life. The book itself is like 700 pages. It's... It, I mean, well, it's because it's really long, and the the average person I don't see getting through a 700-page book. I love it. And right. it's got some amazing uh, drawings in the copy that I have because uh, Dickens, all of his stuff when they originally came out, had nice little visual templates to go off of. That's why it's such rich stuff to adapt into movies, and we have seen so many Dickens adaptations. If you look on his IMDb, he's a credited writer in like a 1,000 movies, similar yeah. to Shakespeare in that way, but... I don't know. It seems like Dickens has fallen out of the popularity a little bit. He's not, he doesn't occupy the place that he used to, and this is going to bring Dickens back in a big way, and I'm very, very excited about that. I just love literary adaptations. I just love yes. them so much. And Little Women last year is the best one we've gotten in a long time, and hopefully David Copperfield brings in a new golden age of literary adaptations for, uh, for American audiences. Well, to connect your number one with my number one is also an adaptation of a novel, and it has a connection to a 700-page-plus novel. Uh, I will say I'm very excited, because it's my number one, for Charlie Kaufman's third directorial film, Uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It's based on a novel that's a little more recent than Dickens, uh, (laughs) but he has a film, also Netflix, so three of my top ten are Netflix films. Uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things is the first film since Anomalisa uh, that Charlie Kaufman has directed. He's written a screenplay, of course, adapting it from a novel by uh, a woman named... Let me go back to the page. And the whole book is like set on a car trip of a married couple to their in-law's house, and I think there's only like four actors in it. Well, it has Jesse Buckley, who was in a film that was released last year called Wild Rose. Has yeah, Tony... that actress, I've heard a lot of people say really good things about her. I haven't seen her in yeah. anything. 
Jesse Plemons, yes. David Thewlis, and Tony Collette are in it. Yes. And it's based on a novel, uh, Iron Reed. Uh, and it's uh, an unexpected detour causes a woman who's trying to figure out how to break up with her boyfriend to rethink her life. Mm. And it's credited as a drama horror thriller on IMDb. And it seems very I mean, cerebral. Yes. Um, I saw an interview with Jesse Plemons that talked about there's like a 15 minute long monologue in the car in one scene that goes on for 15 straight minutes or something. Wow. Um, so He's uh, low-key having a nice little run of working with with interesting directors. Yeah, the Irishman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yeah, was so, in uh, Vice last year or two years ago. Yeah. So the idea of Charlie Kaufman doing another film as a director, that's high up. Uh, Synecdoche, New York is my favorite mm-hmm. film of that decade. Um, it means so much to me. Are those but, the only two movies he's directed, that and Anomalisa? Uh, yeah, and uh, most famous to... for writing, like being John Malkovich and a lot of Spike Jones movies. Adaptation is brilliant, brilliant screenplay. So I'm really excited to see him do a film that's going to be a horror thriller. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really excites me. I remember Synecdoche in New York actually started out as a horror film that really? he was uh, talking about making a film, and he's like, "What is what really scares me?" And he said, like, getting old and not realizing how old you're getting and time passing and your children not being there and you having cancer. That's why, like, Synecdoche in New York has a lot of really heavy shit in it is yeah. because it started out. Not exactly the... jump scares, much more no, no. essential yeah. dread and fright. Right. right, yeah, it's not at all like a horror film, but it, it does have a lot of really kind of frightening, disturbing, you know, basis. Uh, but... I'm thinking of ending things. Don't know too much about the plot. Don't want to know too much about it. Very, very excited to see what uh, he's going to do. I just love the idea of Charlie Kaufman making a horror film. And Netflix has been known to cut the check and not necessarily butt in with uh, studio oversight. So this is seeming like it's going to be like 100% unfiltered Kaufman, which is not something I think Anomalies is sort of a restrained movie. It's very quiet for being a movie acted by puppets. Would you right. say? It's, one the, it's like one of the most human films ever, ironically yeah. done with puppets. But uh, yeah, Synecdoche in New York, I think, is a masterpiece. I think it's one of those films 50 years from now, people are going to be talking about it more than Green Book or The Artist. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, What do you yeah. think like, the tone of this is going to be? Like, I think it's going to be like cerebral and fucked up. I think like, there's going to be a lot of like flashbacks and mental process uh seeing mental process and stuff like that so you think it's going to be sort of straight up two people in a car close-ups and two shots and stuff like that i think there's going to be a lot of it that's really brilliantly written and straightforward like you're just watching people talk but then it's going to get trippy and you're not sure whose memory or whose point of view you're seeing and it's kind of marriage story at parts kind of total opposite of marriage story at other parts (laughs) my mom read the novel i got it for her for christmas and she said that the ending will be very interesting to see how they do it because I don't know what happens. I don't want to know. I'm, I do want to yeah. read the novel first, but which I've heard I, very good things about. I've heard it gets like dark and violent and messed up. But it's up. also pretty short. I think like 180 pages. Right. Well, I wanted to say real quick the other you mentioned a 700 plus page novel. Uh, Charlie Kaufman has his uh, debut novel called Ant Kind uh, that's going to be op- uh, be released. And I just wanted to read some of the plot synopsis. B. Rosenberger. Rosenberger, neurotic and underappreciated film critic, failed academic filmmaker, 
a shoe salesman who sleeps in a sock drawer, stumbles upon a hitherto unseen film by an enigmatic outsider, Ah. a a film he's convinced will change his career trajectory and rock the world of cinema to its core, his hands on what is possibly the greatest movie ever made, a three-month-long stop-motion masterpiece that took its reclusive auteur 90 years to complete. Uh, B knows that it is his mission to show it to the rest of humanity. The only problem, the film is destroyed, leaving him the sole witness to its inadvertently uh, ephemeral genius. This is really so, going to be 700 pages? Yeah. So, uh, His concepts been, are so out there. How does a person think of something like this? It's It's been described as an epic mindfuck. That's how I feel like you describe most of his work. Epic mindfuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so I'm very excited for both his novel and new film, uh, Charlie Kaufman. So yes. do you want to do your, uh, let's just wrap up our top 10 and say, uh, what, uh, just go through them in order again. Uh, I'm going to give you four honorable mentions before I go into one top 10. I've already mentioned two of them in the Heights, uh, directed by John Chu and West Side Story directed by Spielberg, which come on what Spielberg remaking West Side Story. That's either going to be a total disaster or an okay watchable movie. Never There's no a, way it's going to be a classic. Yeah. Never done a musical before. Which is crazy. Coming to America. The sequel to Coming to America is coming out in December. And then Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7, which has a very good task cast. And then Top Gun Maverick coming out June 26. Uh, my top 10 is Wonder Woman 1984, uh, No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie, Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright, Passing, directed by Rebecca Hall, The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry. The French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun, directed by Wes Anderson. Mank, directed by David Fincher. Tenet, directed by Christopher Nolan. Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve. And The Personal History of David Copperfield, directed by Armando Iannucci. Okay, I have ten, The Five Bloods, nine, Arabian Day in New York, slash, Rifkin's Festival, eight, Dune, seven, Tenet, six, Annette, five, Mank, four, The Last Planet, Three, Memoria, two, Benedict, and number one, I'm thinking of ending things. So a lot of one-word movie titles on excited. <laughs> yeah. So 2019 was a fantastic movie year, uh, capped by Parasite winning Best Picture, which we were both very happy about. Hopefully didn't 2020. You, didn't, you just, didn't you? I just watched the video over and over again of Jane Fonda looking at it, and she. Oh, it that was such an amazing pregnant Parasite. Pause. <laughs> I know. So much <laughs> better than Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty fucking up Moonlight La La Land. Uh, hopefully 2020 is a great movie year. Hopefully personal history of David Copperfield is everything I want it to be and more. Uh, thank you for listening. I know Jonathan has to get somewhere. So See we'll you be back with you. Y'all next time.